I'll be reading from Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7 from the NIV. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Thanks, Dale. If you haven't opened to Colossians 2, you're going to want to stick your thumb there and keep it open. We'll come back to that in just a little bit here in just a few minutes. Has anybody in here seen Extreme Makeover Home Edition on Sunday nights? Oh, yes. There we go. I've got a few folks there. Extreme Makeover Home Edition on Sunday nights. We occasionally like to watch that same thing. This is the uh, logo there. We probably now owe ABC about $600,000 for infringement. It's a fun show. It's a show where, if you don't know what's going on here, a huge crew of builders and uh, supposedly volunteers from all over the community will converge on a needy family's house for about a week and absolutely transform their house. This needy family gets this relatively shabby sort of run-down place to turn into in one week this amazing sort of paradise of a mansion, all brought to you, of course, by the friendly folks at Lowe's and Sears and Home Depot. Every week, there's this really emotional part at the end. And if you've ever seen this, if you haven't bawled at the end like I always seem to do, then something is wrong with you. There's this really emotional part at the end where there are hundreds of volunteers and people from the community, and they come, and this family is back from a week of vacation. They come out of the bus, and they stand on this side. Let's say you're the house. They stand on this side so they can't see the house. And then all at the same time, these hundreds of workers and volunteers and this family who's been on vacation anticipating this awesome transformation of their house, they all yell at one time, move that butt. Hey, there we go. (laughs) I knew a few more of you had seen it than raise your hands. I've seen it. Okay. Everyone at that point is, is sort of manic with excitement. Because that total dump of a shack is miraculously transformed into a mind-blowing paradise of a mansion. And everybody's bawling their eyes out. It's a really dramatic transformation. This show came from a couple other shows that were like it. You might remember these from about five to six years ago. One was just called Extreme Makeover. The other was called The Swan. These were other makeover shows, but it wasn't about a house. It was about their physical appearance. It was also an incredible transformation. It followed pretty much the same formula, but instead of a house, they would have pretty much a whole team of specialists, cosmetic surgeons, dentists, beauticians, personal trainers, even life coaches, if any of you know what in the world that is. These people would swoop in, And in a matter of months, they would radically transform this person's image from frumpy and ugly to beauty queen and chick magnet. 
all in the matter of a few months. At the end of that show, there was also there were dramatic moments in the end that sort of moved that bus moment when you would see the transformation and all their family and friends would be around and their jaws would just drop in amazement at how radically different these people looked after their makeovers. I thought it was actually kind of a disgusting show, <laughs> to tell you the truth. It pointed out, it pointed out what we long for in life. But in, in a way that was, that was extremely superficial and, and, and almost disgusting. One critic, one TV critic, called it the most morally bankrupt TV since Al-Qaeda's last press release. Why are those kinds of shows popular? They're popular because of this principle. We all long for what is better. We all long to be better people than we are, not just physically on the outside, but emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. And friends, we are humans, and we are painfully aware of our imperfections and our failures and how our lives, our houses, our physical features even, and yes, our behavior, they don't seem to match what we expect in life. They don't seem to match what we expect from our lives. As I watch these kinds of shows, I can't help but think about how sad it is in our world that we care so much about the material comforts and the physical appearance. I mean, these people in these shows are howling like babies because someone has new teeth. I watch these shows and I want to say, get a grip, people. You see, it's one thing to have a new house or a new look, a new car, but as we're going to learn today, it's a whole different thing. It's a whole different thing altogether to become a new person. And for us in the Christian life, we want to celebrate that kind of transformation of the heart that comes from the inside out and makes us into the kind of person that God has created us to be. This next 11 weeks here, we are going to ask this question uh, with a different question every week that emphasizes how it is that you are growing. The name of this series that we're starting today is Are You Growing? And if you haven't yet, go ahead and pass out the handouts that are in the center aisles. I'll tell you what we, we're going to go ahead and fill in on the way here. And if you're following along in the scripture reading, I've listed those passages in order there so that you can be ready to, uh, to get to those scriptures as we go along. It's the pink pieces of paper there. Those of you in the AV room, I'm going to skip ahead to the video a lot quicker than I planned. <laughs> Here's the problem. Here's the problem. We grow up with this desire, this need, this longing, because we know that there's something better than this. The problem is, because of the effects of sin in the world, because we know our frailties, we experience our shortcomings, we know that this world is broken. And so we go through life with expectations. I was supposed to have a Ph.D. by now, people. I mean, come on. I had expectations. And, and, and we, we find that we're not always cut out to be the fireman that I... I was going to be a fireman from age 5 to 12. I was dead set on being a fireman. 
And I insisted at First Christian Church in Johnson City at preschool that my mom throw me a firefighter party. I was sure. Well, and then when I get to 12 years old in junior high, I decided I really liked our new youth pastor, and I really would like to be a youth pastor. Well, then comes high school, and so I added soccer coach to the mix. And then, of course, I got to college, and I was a psych major, a philosophy major. I wanted to be a lawyer. Uh, I decided to go ahead and be a theologian and get three PhDs and do nothing but, you know, smoke pipes and sit in leather couches and read cool books. But God had different plans for me. Part of this expectation we grow up with is difficult to deal with. The problem is we long for better. We know that something's not right. Here in the church... We want to talk about growing because we want to take it as axiomatic. It is, it is normative that you and I are supposed to be on the process of becoming who's God, who God has made us to be. We're stating that today as the big idea on that outline there. The big idea at the top is that growth in godliness transforms our faith from a claim to a cause. When you and I are growing in faith, our faith becomes something that we just claim as an objective truth because we know that God has justified us through the cross to something where our lives begin to reflect that truth. We go from a, cause, from a claim to a cause. And here's the problem. We don't always do that too well, even here in the church. I want you to see this video in just a second here. It's about a guy who sort of got stuck he sort of got stuck when he was growing, and he decided to stay where he was. And while this may not exactly be you and I, we've all experienced that kind of stagnancy in our life. Let's watch this. Eric, do you like your Sunday school class? Do I like my Sunday school class? Absolutely. I feel like it's a perfect fit for who I am and where I'm at with God. I feel like I can really excel in this group. I tried other classes at church, but I don't know. They just weren't really for me. It's, it's hard to get out of bed and drive all the way down to church if you're not getting anything out of the class in the first place. But this one it just really gels with my personal learning style. I feel like Mrs. Evans gets it, you know. She really understands how to teach to me. And I think she's pretty impressed with my Bible knowledge, too. If you can tell me, who built the ark? No, no. Eric? Noah? Was it Noah? Yes. <laughs> I knew it. Where were you guys at? I know what people say, but no, it's not just the snacks and the songs that make it a better Sunday school class. I just, I, I feel like I really connect with the other students here, too. So who do you like better, Spider-Man or Batman? Spider-Man. Yes. I just got the new Spider-Man shoes the other day. They're really fast. And Mrs. Evans, she just makes the word come alive with all those big pictures and take-home papers. and yeah, She just really brings it down to my level. <laughs> Jesus! It was Jesus. Jesus said that. <laughs> yes! Oh, yeah. Of course Sunday school is important, as long as it's not too difficult and you feel comfortable in it. I mean, I've been in Mrs. Evans' Sunday school class 15 years now. I'm not going anywhere. I play soccer. 
Yo, you teach. I get another one of these. We got problems if we're going to start having adult Sunday school class of the juice boxes, huh? <clears throat> Did you hear what he said there in that video? He said that his Sunday school class felt like it would fit him as long as it wasn't too difficult and he felt comfortable with it. How do we prevent in our Christian life? How do we prevent that kind of stagnant state? How do we produce an environment of growth in our lives and in our churches that will transform us from people who make a claim about who we follow to living our lives that can be marked by having a cause for who we follow? There are a few ways we want to talk about here. The first is this. We must understand that growth is a two-way street. Growth is a two-way street. This is your first blank in the outline there. It's a joint venture. It's a joint venture between us and God. We see this joint venture talked about well in Philippians, the second chapter. Turn to that, if you would, please, there. Philippians, the second chapter. We're going to spend just a couple minutes here in Philippians 2, uh, verses 12 to 13 here. <clears throat> Philippians 2, 12 to 13. They say this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now look at that phrase there in verse 12, with fear and trembling. That's a summary statement that he's making here, that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. When he says that, this idea of fear and trembling, he does not mean that you should do this growth thing with a sense of fear and anxiety, not knowing whether it's going to be good enough for God. It's not that kind of fear and anxiety. He is using this phrase, Paul is using this phrase here, to refer to this, a humble attitude of dependence because it's a joint venture. Paul is telling us that working our salvation out with fear and trembling means it's a humble dependence upon God where both of us are acting. He's suggesting, on the one hand, that we have a role to play, but that we don't control it. Some things we can control. We can make phone calls, drive a car, run an errand. Some things we can do nothing about like the other drivers or the weather, the prices of gas and milk. Only God changes things like the other drivers. There are countless external forces that only God can control that will affect our lives. So he gives a summary statement here in verse 12, and he breaks it down into two constituent parts in verse 13. There are two roles. One is ours. One is God. Verse 13, God works in you. He says, for it is God who works in you. You are not doing this growth project on your own. It's a joint venture where your growth is empowered by God, and it's impossible to do Christian growth without him and his Holy Spirit. The second part of that is that you work. It's also in verse 13 here. You work for his good pleasure. He says to work out your salvation and that it's for his good pleasure, which means that your role is important in the growth process. 
Growth as a Christian is not a passive enterprise. We play an important role because God created us with the ability to do things meaningfully. The analogy I like to use is like this. Christian growth for us is like sailing. This God and us working together thing is like sailing. Think about the difference between a motorboat and a sailboat. In a motorboat, I'm in control, in theory. In a motorboat, I'm in control. I've been at the helm of a motorboat, and I'm not always nearly as in control as you're supposed to be. I start the engine. I control the speed. I go wherever I want. Sailing is different. When I'm sailing, I'm not passive. I have a role to play. I hoist the sails. I steer with the rudder. But I'm utterly dependent on the wind's power for my movement. There's no room in sailing to think that I'm in control because if the wind doesn't blow, I'm dead in the water. When the wind blows on the other thing, on the other hand, we can go somewhere. It's like 1 Corinthians 3 verse 6. 1 Corinthians 3, 6, we plant, we water, but God makes it grow. Growth is a joint venture. When you choose, for example, what, what passage you're going to read in the morning, or, or maybe who to include on your list of people you want to pray about. That's you working. It's sort of like a motorboat, right? It's, it's, we, we choose those things. Or is it? Maybe it's more like sailing than we realize sometimes. We think about our lives and where we need help, so we look up a certain kind of scripture passage to read, or we we think about who to include on our prayer lists until the Holy Spirit works to recall things or whispers to us. You remember that guy that you talked to the other day? He, He needs some prayer. Or that woman who's struggling with that? She needs a note or a phone call. The sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit is powerful and it's mysterious. We don't control and manufacture it. And on the other hand, we are not passive. It's a joint venture. That fancy word I just used called sanctification is just a big fancy word that means becoming holy, becoming saintly. It does not mean becoming perfect. It does not become, it mean becoming exactly like God. It means increasingly taking on the character and nature of God in our lives. Growth is an easier term, so we're using growth. And it's a joint venture between us, and it's between us and God. The second thing is that growth is not optional. Growth is not optional, but it's normative for the Christian. For some reason, we go through life as Christians and as believers, uh, buying into a system that makes us feel comfortable with the idea that we don't have to grow. Growth for the follower of Christ is the normative state of things. Look at Romans, the 12th chapter, verse 2. Romans 12, the second verse. Here in Romans 12, Paul says this, Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul suggests here that if you're not being transformed by God's power, then you're being conformed to forces that are opposed to God. Like it or not, 
Functionally, that is what is going on. If you are not being conformed and transformed into godly character in nature, then like it or not, you are being conformed to forces opposed to God. The question is not if you are going to be formed spiritually. The question for us is by whom will you be formed? If you're not formed by God, then your spiritual adversary, the evil one, will be happy to do the task. And we live in a world that deforms people spiritually if we're not careful. So Christian growth cannot be happenstance. It cannot be accidental. It must be something where we are intentional. There must be a plan. There was a young single man who went on a Caribbean cruise And on the first day of this cruise, he noticed an attractive woman about his age who smiled at him as he passed her on the deck. That night, that single guy managed to save himself a spot at the table with her for dinner. And as the conversation developed, he commented that he had seen her on the deck that day and he appreciated her friendly smile. Well, when she heard this, she smiled and she said, well, the reason I smiled was that when I saw you, I was immediately struck by your strong resemblance to my first husband. At this, he perked up his ears and said, oh, how many times have you been married? She looked down at her plate and smiled sort of demurely and she said, none. That was a woman who had a plan. (laughs) I thought it might take you a little bit. God's plan for our lives is growth, sanctification. God's will for your life is growth. Everybody asks, what is God's plan for my life? What is God's will for my life? You now know the answer to that every single time that question comes up. Anybody that asks you now, you can confidently say, oh, that's an easy one, sanctification. And they'll go, huh? That's an easy one, growth. God's will for you and me is to become the people he created us to be so that we would serve him and our lives, our faith, will become something that is not just a claim, but it's a cause. And friends, far too many people stay at this this claim stage. Far too many people don't know the excitement and the enjoyment and the pleasure of pleasing God and being a part of his kingdom in meaningful ways by living with a cause. And isn't that really what we all want and need in life? Is a meaningful purpose. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 talks about God's plan being growth for us. It says this, This is the will of God. Your sanctification, your growth. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Pursue peace with everyone and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. The scripture here in Hebrews is saying, No one who is not sanctified into the presence of God and his likeness and being made fit for heaven will see the Lord. So the question for us today is, are you pursuing spiritual growth? Are you pursuing growth in your life 
with full resolve. It's amazing to me how people will give up on the one process we know is God's will for our lives. People will pursue other things with full and passionate devotion, but not the process of being made more and more Christ-like. There are endless excuses we make for not pursuing Christian growth in our life. My schedule is too busy. When things settle down, when I get those other things in order, I'll get around to it. My small group leader is not very good. My Sunday school teacher really is not that good. I could grow a lot spiritually, but they don't have their act together. They're never prepared enough. My church, my church doesn't have an adequate enough program for making me spiritually deeper than I am now. If you do not want to live a life of holiness now, what makes you think that you would want to live in the presence of an eternally perfect and holy God forever? Scripture makes clear that the one thing we know about life is that it is God's will and plan for you to become more like Him. You don't know where you're supposed to live. You don't know what you're supposed to do. All those things you don't know until you get there. But from the time you come out of the womb, the one thing you know is God's will for your life is to continue to become who he made you to be. And if you don't want to be more godly now, it's time to start praying. Because that sinful part of us, which wants us to pursue all those other distractions in our lives, will continue to form us into the world's image instead of God's if we are not careful. That's why it should be normative, intentional, planned. What is your plan? Do you have a plan? What is your plan for growing spiritually? Well, I think, I think I'll just let somebody else decide that for me. Could be an incredibly tragic mistake. Growth is also pursued. This is the last one here. Growth is pursued with and for the sake of others. Growth is not just about you and me. It's not just about becoming more and more like Jesus so that you and I can spend eternity with him. It's also about creating an environment in our lives, in our families, in our churches, with our friends and our coworkers, so that others will know the joy of living the Christian life. It's not just about us. There's a real danger sometimes in pursuing spiritual growth because if it gets off track, it can be individualistic, even, even narcissistic. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees in the New Testament in Jesus' day, they thought of themselves as very holy. And yet at the same time, we see they, they didn't even love anybody because they were so absorbed with themselves. The New Testament, friends, it never defines growth or sanctification in solely individualistic terms. 
It is always defined in terms of a community. Turn to Acts 2 for just a moment here. Acts 2, 42 to 7. A classic passage for churches trying to be like this New Testament church. These are our marching orders for what it means to be the people of God. These are our marching orders for who we are as a community. And we see this development of spiritual growth being about others as well in this passage. Just look at this growth in the early church. Verse 42 says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and of prayers. That verse there, that verse 42, describes how they were growing. And the rest of this describes the results of that growth. Look at 43 to 47 here. Awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were what? Together, and had all things in what? Common. And they, that's plural, were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Friends, you may not think it, you may not even know it, but you need the church. You need this community of believers and the fellowship of being together because left to our own devices, you and I will functionally become conformed to the world if we are not careful. Left to our own devices without the benefit of others around us to make us into who God calls us to be. Satisfaction and contentment and the joy of having cause in our life is not known as God intends for it. You see, friends, God wants you to enjoy your life in a way that means that you are joyfully serving, in a way that means that your burdens in life are being shared, that your load is lightened because you've known others in this fellowship. The goal of your personal growth is always the growth of others as well. That's why we talk about cultivating growth. Our three C's are celebrating God, cultivating growth, communicating the gospel. The second is that we are meant to cultivate growth in community. We're starting growth groups this week for the first time on Wednesday nights. And the motto for those growth groups is cultivating growth together. Cultivating a place in our relationships with one another in those growth groups where we can become who God created us to be. What if, what if, 50% of this congregation were in a growth group for the next year? What kind of changes do you think that would make in who you are right here? Because, friends, this isn't about 
Extreme Makeover Home Edition. This life is not about you looking like you have arrived. This life is about this stuff in here, your internal stuff and structure, becoming more and more like the Lord so that you can enjoy a life where your Christian faith is not just something you claim, but it's something you live as a cause. And there's no better community and environment for that than being with other believers in that process. Over the next 11 weeks, we're going to be asking questions about the, the, the presence of the word in your life. Are you, are you becoming more merciful and forgiving in your life? On the back of the outline today, it has all of those questions over the next number of weeks that we'll be talking about. And I want you to take advantage of this series so that if you are like the juice box Christian in the video, or you have felt yourself languishing and not really moving into that person God made you to be, that you would take advantage of the opportunity here to become the person who, like it says in Colossians, is rooted, being built up, that you would be overflowing with thankfulness, that those sorts of characteristics would mark your life. Friends, we want to create that kind of a place here among us, a culture where we are cultivating growth together. If you want to be a part of our congregation, to become a member as someone who has been immersed in Jesus, to become a member and to become a part of this environment where we're cultivating growth together. In just a second when we stand, we'd like to invite you to come forward to place your membership with us. If you would like to become a member of this congregation and you've not yet been baptized and you want to affirm publicly what God has done already on the inside when he died on the cross to make you his own. In the second when we stand, we ask that you would come up. We invite you as well.